Parenting is Political is only made possible because of listeners like you. If you would like to help support the podcast, you can go to our website, parentingispolitical.org, and become a monthly subscriber. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook and check out our Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Parenting is Political is sponsored by Teratots. Teratots Online is the natural parenting unboutique, curating simple joys and happy necessities to help you feel supported, connected, and confident in your natural parenting choices. For more information, visit terra-tots.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-T-O-T-S.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Parenting is Political. I'm Mo, and this week on the podcast, I had the immense honor of interviewing Monifa Bandley, who is the Senior Vice President of Moms Rising. She is an organizer and a movement leader, and she's been doing this work now for over a decade. She is incredible, and she's doing incredible work. She's also a mom who has two daughters, and she had so many great insights during our conversation. I had the best time interviewing her, and I'm so, so excited to share this episode with y'all. As always, if you have any questions or want to make any comments, feel free to email us at contact at parentingispolitical.org. Um, but I'm not going to take up any more time. This is a really great episode, so we're going to jump right into it. Thanks, y'all. All right, I'm here with Monifa. Can you say hi, Monifa? Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm excited about this episode. Um, Monifa works for Moms Rising, is that correct? Yes, it is. Awesome. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, but I just wanted to give our listeners a little bit of background information just about who you are. Um, and instead of me trying to come up with some words for that and describing your family for you, I thought I would just ask by or start off by just asking if you could tell me a little bit about you and about your family um, and like where y'all are located as well. Yeah, sure. So we are the Akinwole Bandele family. We are located in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, which is our home that we love. Um, I'm a mom and a wife. Um, I have two teenage girls. Oh, wow. It's going to be interesting to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have, um, a 16 year old and a 19 year old. Okay. And um, I don't know. We, uh, that's that's pretty much it. You know, that's us. We are, we are. Uh, that's our family unit. We're very close. Okay. Um, anything that's wrong with them is my fault, and anything that's right with them, I'll take credit for that too. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. That gives us a little bit of background, so we know where we're working from. Um, I did want to start off by just asking, kind of right off the bat, we know that massage noir, which is the combination of racism and patriarchy deeply affects black women in America. Um, I was just wondering if you could let us know and help us understand your experience of navigating that as you're raising your two daughters in America right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a lifelong struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I really uh, have pointed them to an anthology. I believe it's called uh, All the Women Are White. And all the blacks are men, but some mm. of us are brave, right? Mm. And it just talks about how whenever we're in spaces to fight racism, we have to put up with a whole bunch of sexism. And when we're in spaces to fight sexism, 
um, together with our, our white women cohorts, a lot of times we have to face racism and fight racism. And so I experienced that through most, most of my life. And, you know, my girls also, as, as young women now, also face that same type of um, dual struggle. And so it's kind of like only amongst black women do you find this intersection where we know what it's like to fight uh, racism, to fight anti-blackness, and to fight sexism all at the same time. And it's exhausting, (laughs) to say the least. Um, But it's something that, as black women, we talk to our girls. I mean, a lot of people hear about the talk, which is how we talk to our children about the realities of interacting with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. But specifically for black women and girls, we talk about the realities of, you know, the spaces that we struggle in, and that many of them don't fight for our whole selves. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I've just been looking a lot around the internet about the new movie that came out about the hate you, the hate you give and how Mm -hmm. they're taking on the talk. Um, have you had a chance to like see the movie or read the book yet? I haven't, I haven't had a chance, um, but we, we definitely plan to see it. Yeah. And it's definitely a conversation that we have a lot in our household too. Um, particularly with interacting with the police and, um, all that stuff. And we're raising two black girls too. And so I just wanted to hear your experience of it. Um, as, as for the podcast, but also as one parent to the next. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a conversation about safety. You know, yeah. our children will go into spaces where people are saying, Oh, we're going to bring in mm-hmm. this set of armed people to make you feel safe. And at no <laughs> point, do my children at all ever feel safe when no. they're around police, right? No. And so no. they're very confused, like, so where do we find safety? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like we are part of the visioning of what community safety looks like. Um, there's a, a woman who's a matriarch on our block uh, who lives next door to us that passed away last week. And at the funeral, one by one, young people got up and said, you know, when I, w- when I come onto the block, when I'm walking onto the block after coming out of the train station and I see... Miss Quick sitting on her stoop, I feel safe, mm. right? So what does that mean? Does Miss Quick have, like, some bulletproof vest? Does she know kung fu moves? No. <laughs> but th- there was a safety in knowing that someone who loved them deeply because she loved all the young people on the block um, that made them feel safe and calm and care for each other and just made the block safer. Yeah. You know, she didn't need tasers and she didn't need any special martial arts training that feeling of safety permeated and made the blocks, it actually made the block safe, you know, because yeah. of that energy of love. And so I think as black women and girls, we're really important component to like reimagining what community safety is. Because when you have to talk, what your kids walk away from is like, well, then what do I do? Where do I go to be safe? You know, I, I don't want to call the police. I don't feel safe around the police. What do we do when we're experiencing gender-based violence or if we're experiencing, you know, um, community violence uh, that's random? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the question, the answers aren't very clear. You know, a lot of times we don't have an answer. So we're really like the visionaries of like creating that vision so that we can actually become the architects of of actually creating it. Where there's like Miss Quicks on the block that that's their role. They love the kids and we worship that and we like... We, we resource them for it because it's, it's an actual, you know, job and that makes our block safe. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Jasmine's actually just popped into the room. Um, Hi, Monifa. Hi. 
Augie and I say hello and we love you. Oh, I love you guys too. <laughs> did you want to ask anything while you're here or did you want any comments or anything? You know, honestly, I'm really excited for you to have an unfiltered, unbiased conversation with Monifa. I'm positive you're going to walk away thinking she is incredible as I do, but I couldn't miss my chance to say hello and thank her for, um, you know, doing this podcast. It's important yeah. that um, the work that you're doing, Mo, but... Monifa's like OG incredible. Like she, <laughs> she's she's oh. movement royalty if there were cert- certain such things. And I'm just, yeah, gushing with gratitude of your example and how you continue to lead with kindness and grace as we vision a world with more justice, Monifa. Thank you. Oh my God, I need to take Jasmine with me wherever I go. Stop it. To the room first. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to um, head to the other room and nurse this cranky, teething baby, but I'll leave you two to it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for popping in, Jess. There's just drool everywhere, by the way. <laughs> so Breast much. Breastfeeding is community safety. Let's yes. Start out, it's community safety measures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, so the other thing that we've been talking about a lot about on the podcast, um, as it pertains to like parenting specifically, is how do you unlearn the things that you were taught as a child so that you don't pass those same things along to your own kids? Um, so like the last episode, we unpacked a lot about sex and sexuality and we've unpacked things about like emotions and anger. Um, but I was just really curious for you as a parent, what was some of the stuff that you had to unlearn when you became a mom, even about yourself or about your kids? Yeah. I really appreciate that question. Mm -hmm. The thing that I had to unlearn is something that my foremothers had to learn to survive. Mm. And that's the myth of the black superwoman. Yeah. Um, for generations, you know, in my family and in many families, um, the minute our girls are born, you know, we are taught them that they must be resilient, that they have to have thick skin, you know, like you can't be sensitive. You have to make sure that you can withstand the storm. Um, you have to be twice as good, twice as fast. Um, you, you know, you cannot be fragile or vulnerable in any way. You must portray yourself as a superwoman. You must be a superwoman. That's what the community needs. That's what the family needs. That's the only way to survive. And I understand that trope because when I, when I look at what um, my grandmothers, great-great-grandmothers had to live through, it was almost like you had to disconnect from reality because that's actually not reality, right? Where right. Women just like anybody else, right? There's, there's no armor under black skin. But it was almost a way of like psyching yourself out to not go completely insane and die from the madness, right? right. So I understand how that therapy, let's, let's call it at that time, was used to get um, girls through a, a, a unfathomable um, abuse and trauma, right? So, oh, it's, it, it's not going to bring you down. It's, you know, you're tough. You can do it. You're a black girl. Mm. And so as a girl growing up, um, I began to learn, you know, how detrimental that was to me and to the girls around me. You know, there was a lot of suppressed trauma. We didn't talk about things when we were hurt, you know, um, and it, it created a toxic mix that made us both mentally and physically ill <laughs> over yeah. the course of time. 
And so when you become a mother, you know, you're kind of in this space where some of what you do is how you've been raised, right? You're taught to say, to, to put forth um, the values that your mother implanted in you and, and you don't want to discount those values because many of them are very, very, very important. But I know that, you know, all children need a space to be vulnerable. Mm. You know, all children need to be cared for and all children need to actually have their childhoods because part of the myth of the black superwoman is it like stripped us as girls of our girlhood. You know, we had to be mature and, and adult-like um, because no matter what, that's what society treat. How, that's how society treated us. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like our mothers were preparing us that no one's going to actually treat you like your kid with that level of innocence. So I'm going to have to just strip that from you right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now as a mom, you know, I'm very intentional about the balance. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when we're, when we teach young people about know your rights with encounters around the police, we always talk about there's your rights and there's reality. Like there's a balance. It's like, here's what your rights are. You have a right to decline a search. But in reality, you know, if you're down some dark alley with guns pointed, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. Let you know, here's how the world should be, you know, and then here's what's happening. So with this myth of the black superwoman, you know, I both tell my girls that, yeah, there is this reality that you got to run twice as fast and that you have to be twice as smart and that you can't show a whole lot of vulnerability and weakness in order to achieve certain things that exist out there today that you may want to achieve. But then also at the same time, I want you to know that that's wrong. Right. And that, you know, if you want to um, embrace your full humanity, that I'm here for you. And, it, it, you know, it may cause potholes in what you want to achieve because of how we're treated as black girls and the expectation that we're supposed to be so stoic, you know, and all these things. But, you know, you embracing your full humanity um, is healthy and I'm going to support you in that. And, you know, so it became, it becomes this whole balance where you're teaching your kids like the reality of what society is going to do and how society is going to treat you versus what they really have a right to express. The same thing with like how you dress Um, as a young woman, you know, people say uh, things that shame your body. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know that when they go out in the world, people are going to treat them a certain way based on how they're dressed. But at the same time, you want to empower them and know that they shouldn't. But I don't want to give you a false sense that that's not going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's so much, you know, on black women, and especially black girls, which you know and you're going to know even more, especially if you become teenagers. Oh, my gosh. We have a preteen in the house and it's like, I'm not ready. <laughs> but, yeah, I think we have to start also like believing in our kids resilience to hold that balance, too. And mm-hmm. like so many times I see in history, but also like present day, like we have to give them the either or like either you're going to only have this heavy dose of reality and we're going to have to prepare you all the time, or we're going to like sugarcoat it. And then you're going to be out there without any sort of understanding of reality. And, but our kids are resilient and they can hold that tension and that, and that balance really well if we allow them the opportunity to do so. Um, so I really appreciate your answer to that question of reiterating there's a balance and we try to hold both of them in tension. Um, because I think that's really important to teach our kids because that's how life is, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And it's important, you know, for their social emotional health. I mean, it really makes me think of the other thing that I have to unlearn is just how we are so closed and don't talk about mental health and wellness. Mm. And I've had to really unlearn that and, and provide space in my home for my children to talk about when they're not well. You know, yeah. and, and and it, some of it goes back to that, like myth of the black superwoman. And, you know, you don't need therapy. You're a black girl. You got to get over it. Right. And making sure that I'm not reinforcing that because that's kind of like a default and really making sure that there's space. So not only for you to be, you know, embrace your full humanity, but also to be honest and transparent and open when you need help, you know, especially emotional help. You know, and in our community, that's not something that is looked favorably upon. You know, like you shouldn't need to see a therapist or you shouldn't have to have uh, you shouldn't be diagnosed with mood disorders. And so we've kind of had to break all that up Mm -hmm. in our house so that our kids could be healthy because they were experiencing mood disorders and all these things. And so keeping it quiet and telling this to suppress it only makes it worse. Yeah. You know, so that was a, that was a big unlearning and making sure that I kind of course corrected because, you know, when I was growing up, yeah, anxiety, what's that? Yeah. (laughs) What do you have to be anxious for? You know, we're not wherever your grandmother grew up doing whatever she was doing, you've, you've moved forward. So you, you you don't have the right for any anxiety. Right. And so we know that that's wrong. Yeah. I'm, yeah, and I'm really glad that you brought that up, too, because um, mental health for kids is super important. Whenever I was growing up, I never, and I grew up, you know, in a very white area and a very white family and community, and we never talked about mental health, and we never talked about kids even seeing counselors or talking very openly about it, and I just know that everything is doubled, tripled, quadrupled um, for black families, uh, when it comes to situations of like getting the resources. And so I can only imagine um, having to not only unlearn that, but then have to like figure out ways to teach your kids how to have those healthy emotional conversations. It's very important for sure. Yeah. And just also the reality around, like you said, getting those resources, yeah. you know, or the, the amount of resources I needed for one of my kids. Most people I know could not amass those resources for mm-hmm. their children um you know none of the pediatric psychiatrists that were recommended <laughs> book health insurance at all yeah. like not to take our insurance they're like i don't take any you know so it's like how are how are people even supposed to ex- access um what is needed for mm-hmm. for children and adolescent mental health it's it's pretty um challenging and the resource piece is probably probably as big a challenge as shifting the culture to being more transparent and talking and being open about these challenges, about the mental health issue itself, you yeah. know? So it's like a double mm-hmm. weight to lift. Yeah, absolutely. So many barriers and so many obstacles to overcome just to even like access the help that you need. Um, oh man, well, I could stay on this topic for another hour, but <laughs> unfortunately I'm going to have to move on. Um, and talk about mom, mom's rising. What, what is mom's rising? Um, I don't know if all of our listeners know what that organization is and also what's your role within mom's rising. So I'm the senior, um, vice president for, um, maternal justice and healthy kids. 
Um, with our Healthy Kids work, we work to dismantle the school to prison pipeline and promote social, emotional health and well-being for kids, both in schools and in communities. And in our maternal justice programs, we're trying to end the rising tide of maternal mortality mm. and morbidity in the United States. Um, and also making sure that every mom um, is able to fulfill you know, her right of raising her kids. So that's everything from fighting against, you know, police brutality or mass incarceration or the high incarceration rate of women, them mm-hmm. shackled during childbirth and delivery or even having their children removed from them at, at birth all fits under our maternal justice programs. Wow. And is that what Moms Rising is focused on? Or is there is that just your what you do specifically? Yeah, that's just what I do specifically. We actually work across an intersection of issues that impacts women and moms in the workplace and in communities. Okay. Um, I would say some of our founding issues are around women in the workplace, things like equal pay, mm-hmm. making sure that there is um, paid parental leave, um, uh, decent minimum wage, access to breastfeeding, or some of Moms Rising's initial wheelhouse issues. But now we work across many issues. Okay, awesome. So it's definitely, it's developed over time. Um, But I really like this section of what you're doing. I know, and I live in Arkansas, and the mortality rate for black women um, giving in childbirth is just astronomical. Uh, It's really, really bad in Arkansas, and I'm not super educated on the rest of the country. Um, But I do know that, like, when Jasmine was pregnant with our last child, I was just constantly a nervous wreck and constantly having to like battle doctors and like the medical system to just even listen to her about her own body um Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah so i'm gonna definitely have to check out that whole section of mom's rising that um you're you're doing all that work and that's amazing please do especially maternal mortality we have to amplify those disparities you know right now black women are four times more likely to die during Mm -hmm. childbirth than white women in the united states and that's actually the highest health disparity between black and white women. Yeah. You know, diabetes, cancer, all those things. It's like, you know, 25% more likely, 50% more likely, but four times more like, like 400% more likely um, is the big gap. And so what is happening with, um, you know, our maternal care and the intersections um, that it's having with massage noir, like you mentioned, the racism and sexism and how mm-hmm. that lands on black women's bodies when they're pregnant. Right. And I think that a lot of people may have become aware that this was even an issue just because of Serena Williams, but this has been going on for a very long time. Yeah, and we thank Serena for sharing her story because it really broke it. You know, it was like, what? Yeah. Because when we were, every time we talked about maternal mortality, it was like, oh, well, black women are dying more because they are poor and they have less education. And here's like one of the richest uh, black women in the country. And she's facing the same type of BS, I'll put it, um, Mm -hmm. while giving birth as any other mom. And so we're like, no, that's the issue. Not, you know, these other pieces that you associate with people being disenfranchised. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that Moms Rising currently has a campaign called Be a Voter, Raise a Voter. Is that correct? Yes. Yay. Um, why is this campaign so important? And are, are you talking to your own kids about the political system and what it means to vote? I do. We take, we've always taken our children to the polls. 
you know, they've watched us vote. They know that voting is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I have a team that's on a college campus who's like, oh, my God, I've got to get this ballot in, you know, <laughs> and we don't even have what quote unquote important. I think all the races are important, but none of the ones that you see in the national media mm-hmm. are happening here in Brooklyn. But, you know, she is very much a voter and she knows that, you know, it is her duty to cast that ballot and that civic participation mm-hmm. goes beyond voting. You know, that's always been our thing. It's like, okay, voting is like the floor, right? And then there's things like, you know, responding to those jury duty notices, holding elected officials accountable, mm-hmm. you know, participating in hearings and, and talking about legislation that's important and going to your legislators and telling them the pieces of legislation that you think are important. So civic engagement takes on a more of a holistic definition in our household. And like voting is almost like, that's just your get in the door. Like you, that's the bare minimum that you really have to do. And then beyond that, the people who you elect, they need to work for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why we elected them. Uh... Yeah. So the be a voter, raise a voter is like, uh, so we, we've looked at all this research. And so more than like thousands of flyers in the mail or robocalls or text messages or commercials or uh, on the TV or on the radio, people are more likely to vote if their parents have voted. Mm. Like it's big uh, causation, you know, that we are able to pinpoint. And so we can always, yes, we can create new voters and, and then they, their children will be more likely to vote. But that's like the big hump, right, is to make to get someone to be a voter. And then when you be when you are a voter, you raise a voter, you right. know, and that's kind of the piece that we saw. In, and especially women, you know, women in households are also uh, political leaders. And a lot of times if a mother uh, votes, the children are more likely to vote. We see the same type of correlation with like attending higher education, like this is the father has higher education, then the chances of the child having higher education like goes up so much. But if it's the mom, it like goes up further than that. So like the whole um, political and educational trajectory of your children is really deeply based in what you model more than what you say. So yeah. I know that's scary to everybody out there. <laughs> Okay. But it's real. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I love this campaign and I think obviously it's very important right now because November sixth is right around the corner and early voting is already open. Um, but I love that you've highlighted voting is like the baseline of what we need to be doing. And that raising a voter means so much more than just going and casting your ballot on one day every four years or every two years. Um it's about being engaged in the system. I think that's very, very important. And I think that's what is at the heart of the campaign, it sounds like. Yeah, it's so important. And for many states, you know, when you're registered to vote, you serve on juries. Yeah. Enlightening experience I've ever had was sitting grand jury one day. I was just like, wow. I mean, I already had a very complex and deep understanding and critique of the criminal justice system. Oh, yeah. And it's actually sit there and you're like, what in all hell? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's it's such a good education for you too, you know, and yeah. and also it's such a key moment where you can disrupt some BS, like you personally, like beyond just voting. Like, okay, well, let's ask some questions here amongst ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> let's turn on our thinking caps for a second. Absolutely, and, and it's very empowering to serve on those juries. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, we like to end all of our interviews by asking 
Um, what makes parenting political for you? Parenting is political to me, for me, because <laughs> back to the be a voter, raise a voter, my parents um, uh, had a political philosophy to parenting. And that, you know, the way that we parent is not just uh, important as to what our houses are like inside. It's also just critically important to the kind of communities that we're building. Um, It is your first uh, place of organizing. Mm -hmm. You know, my father's like, you organize in the house first. (laughs) You know, being a community organizer and everything's happening up the street, down the block, down in City Hall, and you haven't organized your very basic unit um, is a huge missing piece because Mm -hmm. you're not building the will to carry on the political agenda that you're laying down for the future. Right. Right. So if, if if my parents parenting wasn't political, the work that they did as activists would just fall. Right. Because the next generation wouldn't pick it up and be like, I don't know why you're gone in at the meeting, at the hearing, you know, (laughs) whatever. It could be the movies, you know, whatever. So, so they're very intentional that, that that has to be a part of um, their community organizing, you know. And at the end of the day, I just want to close by saying that actually everything is political. Mm -hmm. And that when people think that they are being benign in their actions, whether they're artists or parents or teachers or, you know, a bus driver or whatever, then they're actually maintaining the status quo, right? So so your, your politics, it's political what you're doing, and if you're not intentionally disrupting status quo, then you're maintaining status quo, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's one or the other. And that's that's an important part of my parenting, too, is that everything is political. Mm-hmm. You know, where you spend your money, where you live. Yeah. You know, when we fight gentrification in Bed-Stuy and very lovely and well-intended people are driving gentrification and we're like, yeah, that's great that that's not your intention, but your actions are political because all of our actions have political consequences. They have a political impact, you know, what songs we play and all these things. And I know that's really heavy for people, but I think we need to at least know it, even if we're not walking around with like every little thing we do, thinking about the political implications, you should just know that there is a political <laughs> implication for every little thing you do. Yeah. You know, you're not responsible to like become like a mad woman or man around that but you should at least know that you know all of these things have some some type of outcome yeah absolutely wow thank you so much there's so much so much good content in this episode and so much to unpack and learn from this um and if people want to kind of continue following along with what you're doing do you mind letting us know where our listeners can follow you at on social media Sure, then they can follow me at Monifa Bandele, M-O-N-I-F-A-B-A-N-D-E-L-E. Also, they should follow at Moms Rising, you know, and I just want to thank everybody out there who's on social media, who are doing things to um, carry these messages forward. Uh, I love independent media, like these podcasts. It's so important. It's such a new day because of independent media and social media. When I was growing up, all the media came at you. You couldn't respond other than to yell at the fuzzy TV, right? <laughs> and, and now we're, like, building our own outlets to respond and to lead conversations that need to happen. So yeah. thanks again for having me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.